Don't forget to check out Nerd to Know Bases here on Phoenix 92.5 FM with myself, Daryl O'Connor, and Bryn O'Rourke for everything nerd culture, video games, comics, and so much more. That's Nerd to Know Bases, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. every Saturday here on 92.5 Phoenix FM. from the Blanchestan Center. This is Phoenix FM. The internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to bitch about movies and share pornography with one another. According to the Nerd Index, you should be upside down in a junior high toilet around the clock. This is Sparta! All your base are belong to us. The balls are inert. And now it begins. Okay, guys, we're going to try once again. You are listening to Nerd to Know here on Phoenix 92.5 FM. Uh, podcast number eight. And after a series of technical issues, things seem to have been corrected. Well, let's hope for the best. Bryn, are you there, sir? Yeah, I should be here. I think. Oh, brilliant. Possible. Okay, man. Third <laughs> uh, <laughs> time lucky, huh? Yeah, essentially. Uh, yeah, so we're starting a bit late this week. So anyone listening to the podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start. I'm going to cut up one of the panels from uh, Dublin Comic Con, and uh, yeah, that's what you guys are going to get for the beginning of the show. Hopefully, we'll get everything sorted out, but you know, it is what it is, and uh, you know, we we do have a lot to get through this week. I was actually on assignment out uh, meeting Hugo Weaving, which I didn't actually get to do. Sadly, um, the queue was massive, and pretty much. It, he was doing a master class for anyone who doesn't know and he was doing a signing out in Forbidden Planet so what happened then was we got to the door and he's like look he's not saying past 3 o'clock you know stay a little bit past it and then he's like, we, we gave our names so, that. so I get a signed print but you know yeah, yeah. like there, there, there's worse things that could have happened than that you know so it just is what it is bro yeah yeah no that like, I mean these things happen you know I mean again like it's not like Hugo Weaving is a is a reasonably famous and popular actor, so it's not a shock. But yeah. here is the here is the caveat to that. I got to see him walk in. I got to say hey to him. So yeah, that, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that, that's fair enough, you know. But the weird thing about it, he's he's been in so many things, Bryn. It's crazy, like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's done like, I mean, the the main body of his work is the theater, but you know, he's been in some of. Some of the biggest, um, like some of the biggest and most influential films of the last, uh, of the last twenty years. You know, between like, like it's crazy to think that within five years he was involved in two of the most, like, two of the most uh, beloved uh, film franchises in the Matrix and in Lord of the Rings. But particularly and, for uh, for a nerd audience, like. As you said, The Matrix and Lord of the Rings. Like, being in one yeah. of those, you're set for life. Being in both is unheard of, nearly. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And, like, you know, um, I mean, that like that turnaround in terms of time is, like, is insane. 
Um, yeah. but you know, and like from there, you know, he's gone on to do. I mean, in terms of like the nerd, like more of like the nerd oriented stuff. He was V and V from Vendetta. Um, yeah, like my favorite of his movies, but still. Yeah, and then he was he was also uh, the Red Skull, which was like perfect casting, in my opinion, for uh, for uh, Captain America, and you know. People, some people think that he was in the, the last Avengers film, but he definitely wasn't. It was just def- someone doing a really good impression. <laughs> I can confirm that he was not. I, I was one of these people that actually believed that, but when I was actually mm. at the signing today, my friend was like, no, they got someone else. And then I I said, mm. nope, that's not true. So I apologize, Karina, for, um, mm. for, for doubting you. She was 100% right. It was somebody who was just doing a spectacular impression, but... Uh, yeah. You know, Play. Hopefully he does come back because I'd actually like to see him in a much more uh, expanded role than just being the guardian of the soul song. But you know we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, well, I mean that's all like to play for really with the next yeah. uh, with the next Avengers film. So anything yeah. really. Yeah, I think there I think there is a lot there that 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 can be done and probably will be done uh, in the next couple of years. What we're going to do is we're going to skip this break and we're just going to go straight through because I think half an hour of a mess is good enough. So we're going to skip this break and the next break will be at six o'clock, guys, for anyone listening. But remember, if you want to listen to the podcast, I am actively working on getting better ways to send out this show. So we have a mixed cloud um, where all the shows are archived. And on our own website, wvidesk.com, I'm going to actually build out a section as well at some point. And we're working on getting this on iTunes. So bear with us, guys. We're trying to crunch the numbers to, to get it up there. But once that happens, uh, we'll let you know. So let, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this show, Bryn. Big day yesterday. Huge day yesterday, right? So two things happened yesterday. One, I went to go see The Nun. Yeah. Uh, which, look, it's religious movies get me they really do right it's just the way it is it's the only horror movie the genre of horror movies that really really mess up my head and you know slasher movies you know they're funny you know stupid zombie movies they're funny religious movies no man they mess with me something fierce i just um <laughs> it, it, it's just it's just a catholic guilt that's all it is it's <laughs> it's yeah, just it's too that, it's a crazy catholic guilt <laughs> yeah yeah it's it just uh it's just too ingrained you know um mm. where see it's it, it's almost lazy because they don't actually have to really do anything <laughs> to, to make a, a creepy nun movie but um as a because movie nuns like, are already creepy yeah know? man like you know notice respect you could do a documentary movie. about nuns and people will think it's a horror film right? yeah well actually speaking of which the best nun horror movie i don't know if you've ever seen it it's from the 70s it's called, called the devils Sister <laughs> Sister Act. No, no, no. It's called The Devils by Ken Russell. It's actually banned this country for like 30 years. That's a good, yeah, that's a good movie. It, it's based actually on a real life um, a real life convent in Lyon back in the Great. 18th century. Yeah. And apparently it was a, a convent of nuns that were possessed. And Cardinal Rushler um, actually sent out uh, an envoy to find out what was going on. And this is what it's about. It's very good. Now, I, I, you know, it, it is freaky as all hell, like legit. And it's, it's a much more scary film and a much slower burner than The Nun. Um, but I would recommend for anyone who's interested in, in a good old school horror movie that they check out uh, Ken, Ken Russell's The Devil. It's fantastic. But as far as getting back to The Nun, it's cool in what it does. Like it's a, it's a, a prequel to The Conjuring universe. And it, it kind of, te- yeah, so what it does is it actually tells the story of, like, they link it all back up 
So this is the earliest one in the whole saga. And it kind of starts everything off and ties them all back together. So it's cool. You know, it, it does it does more than it thought it would do. It's quite a clever movie. But here's the problem, and here's my only critique. It is jump scare central. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that can happen. That can happen with, an, with a lot of, uh, like, uh, with horror movies now, especially, like, I don't know why, but it's just become such a common trend yeah. to, for, for horror movies for the last, I want to say, 15 years or so to just have jump scares and not like have like substantial stories and jump scares and not really much in the way of like atmosphere or dread or anything to kind of well see this one is so good atmosphere you know it's as you said you know nuns are freaky as it is Mm. um like any kind of religious environment is kind of freaky anyway because it's very easy to um subvert it into something evil you know um so that's what they kind of play with here that's like the overarching theme of it and like the sets look cool um and the environment's quite good as well actually i learned that they weren't allowed film in anything in any kind of church in romania that's where it's set they actually had to build everything from scratch and when you look at that you're like that's really impressive you know the set's quite good what i will say and another criticism on this and this is this is solely because it's me and because of my background but it starts off in mm. in rome in the vatican and it has a um it's supposed to be in the vatican it has a, a shot looking out looking at the, the middle of Rome, you know, which is up by the Colosseum. No, it's the worst green screen in the world. And it's also like, listen, there, in a million years, you could not see that view from Rome. Like, it's, it took me out of the movie completely. And I was upset for like 15 minutes. And I'm like, why? Why didn't you just stand at some columns looking at St. Peter's Square? It's just lazy. And I hate when movies do that. I'm like, look, you know, most people won't know. Most people will never know the difference. I know the difference. And that's why it only gets a star and a half. <laughs> research <guys. laughs> research <laughs> but no Bruno, I would and for, invented a scheme a scenescape <laughs> yeah exactly it's just like guys come on um, yeah anyway what I would say is if you're looking for a decent movie it's not bad it's not the worst one in the world Slenderman is far worse Slenderman is, is dog garbage what uh, really it looks so <laughs> good no, here's the thing. Like, if this if Slenderman came out four years ago, it would make an absolute bomb, and everyone would be like, "Oh, would everyone go see it?" Because it was in the set guys at that time. But now it's just like it's okay, but it's really stupid. You know, it's like it's really dumb. And like then the like lore for Slenderman, then. Oh well, look. I thought the lore was okay with Marvel Hornets and with um, Slender: The Arrival, the video game. That's quite a good game, even mm. to this day, it holds up quite well. Um, but as far as like, is this movie good? No, it's not. And particularly when Slenderman shows up and it looks like they ripped it straight from the P- from the PS2 era video games. You're like, wow, where did all your budget go, Sony? Why is this so bad? <laughs> so no, um, go see the nun over Slenderman. Uh, and there's a moral story here. When a meme is hot, you know, and you buy the rights for it, just release the movie. They should have just released Marvel Hornets, cut up the bits and pieces, and that would have been a better movie. Now, what I will say, Bryn, um, I want to talk about something else. So we talked about this a fair bit yesterday. For the first time in a very long time, a decent Spider-Man game was released. So Marvel Spider-Man, which is a stupid name, has mm. been released for the PS4. Now we both it's picked pretty this straight up. to the point, though. To be let's be fair, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is it is what it says on the box. It is. It is from Marvel. <laughs> and it is <laughs> yeah, like you know, I mean. 
I mean, there's been there's been worse Spider-Man titles. Yes, there has. Like, you know, that's that's be fair. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, in the interest of fairness. And, and I'm not talking about the you know let, let's let's be fair here. Let's let's start from the PS1 game, uh, Spider-Man. Which, oh, that was you know, that was so much fun for the time. It, it was terribly. Uh, and the second one was even better. Uh, Enter Electro, that was fantastic. For its time, yeah, it was great, you know. And then, but you play them now, and you're like, oh Jesus, you know, these are terrible. No draw distance. But the thing about it is, they were smart because they actually said, well, you know, the gas is There's a fog. Fog, yeah, and it's like stuff. But um, I, I think the biggest one that kind of piqued everyone's interest and really pushed the envelope as far as Spider-Man games were, um, where where the ones released. And after Spider-Man 2, and particularly Spider-Man 2, the video game itself, which has the rare distinction of being a movie tie-in game that actually surpasses the movie. Yep. And, you know, it, it that was fantastic. And from playing the new Spider-Man game, there's a lot of that in it. But before we touch that, um, touch, touch that whole topic, there is a, there's another thing. There were a series of games released um, after that. So the, the cel-shaded Spider-Man game, which I can't remember the name of. Oh, that was Amazing uh, Spider-Man. Yes, or, oh, sorry. Or, was it? No, it was the um, Ultimate Spider-Man. Yes, that was yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was that was really good. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was solid. I mean, yeah. I mean, there was a, there was that pe- like that Activision period. Yes, is like like littered with like uh, with like I mean, mo- like most of them I'm pretty positive on. Like I really I have nothing but positive mem- positive memories for the for the two uh, PS one games. Yep. Their Tobey Maguire time movies outside of Spider Man three were all good. I mean, at the time when Spider Man one came out, I didn't even think it was possible to have like webs, like uh, have uh, webs, uh, open stable, world, you know, yeah. in an open world environment. And when yeah. it came out, it was just like this is it changed everything. Well, it was so, game changing, and I don't mean yeah. that in like in a PR sense. I mean like what Spider Man two the video game did literally redefined. How a Spider-Man game was made. Oh, it became yeah. the new benchmark. It became yeah. the new benchmark against which every uh, Spider-Man game after it was judged well, yeah. upon. And it was the best one for years up until this recent one. Now I yeah. have a lot. Of, I have a, a lot of. Uh, I have a soft spot for Shattered Dimensions. I think that's a great yeah. game. Love yeah. it. Like Shattered Dimensions is just like it's very, um, it's very linear. But like, yeah. I don't, and I don't mean that like in a disparaging way. It's just. No, you know, no. want an open world experience, you're gonna, you're not gonna have a good time with it. No, well. and it was. But here's the reason why I like the Brennan. It's it's 100. No, I like it in general. You know, Mysterio, and he's not in the new Spider-Man games, so that kind of sucks. But Mysterio is one of my favorite uh, Spider-Man villains. I just think he's yeah. great. But um, the fact he's front and center, but also the voice of Spider-Man Noir is the oh, same yeah. guy who did the voice in Spider-Man: The Animated Series. I just like the fact that all of them were. Of all those guys were voice actors for Spider-Man at one yeah. point or another. And yeah, really I, w- cool. I, w- I wish they do that. I wish they do that again, you know, and kind of have that, or even, you know, I, I, I just look to me, and I'm going to declare my bias here. I wish your man who did the voice for Spider-Man, the animated series, did the voice for all the video games. He's the best one. He's great. You know, and he actually did, the vo- he was actually Greg Brady in the Gre- in the Brady Bunch, which is kind of yeah. weird. But, like I really, I really like the voice actor who played uh, uh, Peter in Spider-Man from Spectacular Spider-Man, and I wouldn't have been against him doing this. Yeah, either. and yeah. Neil Patrick Harris actually was a Spider-Man too, which is yeah, yeah, weird. and probably the worst uh, yeah. Spider-Man TV show made ever made. That was not, <laughs> um, that uh, MTV, uh, the MTV Spider-Man. Oh, that so was bad. bad. Yeah, so was bad. Actually, I re- I discovered. Uh, and we probably will talk about this actually. Uh, 
in a future episode because I, 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 it's a good topic in and of itself. The the Marvel cartoon cinematic universe is very deep. You mean the uh, the cartoon uh, TV universe? Yes, yes. Did I say yeah. cinematic? Yeah, Sorry. you did. <laughs> well, it was cinematic first time, but yeah. what? I was, yeah, the cartoon uh, universe. Because the thing about it is, it's like that's incredibly deep, and I actually it's so deep to the fact that I discovered that there was another Spider-Man series release, oh, unlimited, unlimited. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, unlimited is is an odd no. one. Like the the voice yeah. actor for Unlimited did the two PS One games. Yes, he did. Um, he did. It, yeah, it's that, weird. that was it was weird because it got cancelled before it finished. So yeah, and, and you watch it, and you, you watch it, and you can you can kind of see why. But uh, I I do kind of want to, to review that at some point the the entire run because it's it, it's really cool. And anyone who is a Marvel Marvel mm. fan who might not be our age, like I'm thirty this month, uh, you're around the same age, Bryn. It's that came out when we were kids, mm. and. It was so important. Um, Pretty much that got me into comics. Yeah, same. It was so important. And also as well, it kind of set the benchmark for video games. Because actually the the Spider-Man game that came out, that was based on that series. It was based on that run. Uh, Islands of Adventure in Orlando, that was based on that. You know, X-Men was so huge. And the thing about these shows that were good were great. They're still great. Um, X-Men is still one of those series where you can go back and watch Spider-Man you can still go back and watch it you know but then there's ones like the Hulk which is incredible Silver Surfer mm. Iron there's an Iron Man series Avengers it's not yeah, good the Iron, Man, the Iron Man series is not good either it's, no it's, it's not it's, it's, yeah. like, it, that, it's like yeah the, the 2099 Avengers was poor yeah the, um, the uh, Avengers you know yeah. bad as well yeah, the um, the Fantastic Four was bad. That was okay. And Iron, uh, I've never, I've never cared for Fantastic Four, so I just, I don't have any good memories of it. Uh, see, man, I, I, see here. Then I love Fantastic Four. I think they're great. They're just never used properly, and it's like mm. that's why when Marvel, now, now that Marvel loaned them, mm. it's uh, I can't wait for them to just be used properly. The best way to use Fantastic Four is people go to them, and go here, fix this. All right, bye guys, and then they leave, and that's yeah, the best way to use Fantastic like, Four. That's what I mean, though. They're not like they're not a char- they're not like a bunch of characters that I want to spend any time with. They're characters that like they kind of just like fill in the background and have you like read Richards out of them, out of all of them. Really, is the one who has actually like any function outside yeah. of the group. Well, that's know? why you know there's ta- there's a lot of talk with the event. I know we're jumping around a lot, guys, but you know we are trying to fit in everything. Um, that's why there's a lot of talk that the Illuminati are going to be featuring in the um, actual MCU soon. Which that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, it'll be cool. I say we're about five, six years away from that because obviously you need to bring in the X Men and that. But mm. the way the Illuminati works, uh, it's it's the perfect way to use a Reed Richards and a perfect way to introduce the X Men. Another thing about the X Men is they're looking to they might be brought in in the post credit scene of Avengers Four. Mm. Yeah, that uh, could be possible. So there, there's still a lot to kind of play there, but I don't want to to get into wild random alex jones and conspiracy theories about <laughs> mcu just yet until uh, until it's a bit closer but miss marvel is the next marvel movie we'll be talking about and that's a fair bit away yeah so, it's like uh, march next year so yeah so we got time uh mm-hmm. so w- when that kind of ramps up we'll start talking more about it uh so yeah look how much time have you had playing the game bro 
I've played about two hours so far. And what what's your first impressions on it? It's great. It's great. It's um, like uh, like depending on how the story goes, which is like easily by far and away the weakest link in Spider Man Two. It's um, it could be a contender to be the best Spider Man game I've ever I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it depends how much of it I get I get through, but I'm expe- I'm expecting it to like. So far, it, from what I got, got, I've seen from it, it is a serious contender for one of the best Spider-Man games I've ever played. It could possibly yep. be the best. Yeah, you know? I would, I would agree. I, I've played about the same. Um, I'm going to yeah. go home and play it now as well. Um, yeah. But just from everything about it, the way you swing, oh uh, yeah, city, it feels so fluid. Now, the it's, combat's it's, great. The and combat's and like the so combat's great. great. But here's the thing, though: um, when you play. When you play it, you're like, I'm never going to be able to play Arkham City again. Um, I I think they're different, to be honest. Like, I mean, they're very similar, very very similar. But like, in like one of the big differences is that like you know the way the uh, you know the way when you have combat in Arkham, and it's like, oh, oh, guy's going to attack you, and then you just do the counter button. It's a mm. counter attack. It's not really like a, it's not really a dodge. Whereas in spider-man it very much is just evasion to like give you openings for different offense they're they're similar but they're very different like in terms of how they work together very very different and the kind of like uh arkham is really trying to give you the idea that you're legitimately fighting off um like fighting off and outskilling the like uh, your assailants whereas in this like in this you're given the impression that you're you're dodging and you're bobbing and weaving guys much more so than you're, and like you're kind of finessing them more rather than being a very good point, you know, you're, rather you're than being like technical, like yeah, like you're that. not trying, you're not trying to cripple them, yeah, you know, yeah, you're not to, like you're not trying to like basically have five different MMA matches at the same time. You're more, yeah. it's much more like you're having a bunch of Lucha Libre matches. Yeah, like that's that's actually a very good point because I noticed with um. With Spider-Man, the way he fights is, you know, there's a lot more working in there. But with Batman, mm. you know, these people are never getting up again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it's, you're just crippling yeah. guys. Like, That's always been like one of the big criticisms people have had in the Arkham games, at least, where they go like, oh, Batman won't kill people, but he's happy to break their necks. Oh, okay. That's yeah, the- like <laughs> everyone here is murdered. That's just, yeah. that's just it. Like it's everyone like, is dead. It's not people are murdered. It's like, people are not going to walk again. Like, <laughs> you know, it's... Because like, even to the fact, you know, like, uh, he knees people to the face and every bone in their body breaks. Yeah. Spider-Man just webs them and he's like, right, bye guys. You know, yeah. it's, just, it's it's way it's way less invasive. But yeah. I have to say, that, like, without, I'm not a big graphics person. I don't, give, I don't really care that much, but it would be wrong for me to not say how great everything looks. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Just, it's very pretty. Really, it's really pretty. beautiful game. All the character models looks great. The acting, the voice acting is great. The world feels real, feels lived in. Um, New York looks unreal. Uh, it's just, it's great. You know, it's a little bit different to when you're playing Spider-Man 2, uh, if you're used to it, and particularly any of those other Activision games, the way web swinging works. It's yeah. very similar, but it takes, it's a little bit different. It's no, it's like, it's like if you play, like, you know, Crash Bandicoot, I play Crash Bandicoot a lot. Mm. And when I played the, the re-release, it felt similar, but different. And that's kind of what it's like, similar, but different. Um, it's yeah. probably the best way to put it. Overall, I'd say, guys, this is a strong buy. Like, 
buy it now. It's that good. Um, uh, you know, I, I didn't want the game. You know, we talked about this at work. I literally was like, I need it. You know, the day before, <laughs> and I didn't bought it. And I, I, I had absolutely no interest in picking it up. And I was like, nope, need it. Went and got it. And, you know, you Smiths are doing a deal at the moment now where you can, well, it is cheaper in Smiths, but the pre-order is gone. So, mm. uh, but it's on the it's on the Nintendo, it's on the PlayStation Network. Uh, <laughs> the Nintendo the Network Nintendo. for the play, for the PlayStation. No. Uh, for the PlayStation. <laughs> for the PlayStation uh, box. <laughs> the, 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 the Chinese import. <laughs> um, yeah, I know, guys, but it is a strong buy. Another, another quick game that I happily have finished because I can actually play Spider-Man now is Jurassic World Evolutions. That's a pretty older game, but. Mm. Man, if, if look, I like dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are cool. I like theme park games. Um, not, I'm not a super huge fan of theme park games, but I do like them. And this kind of balances both really, really well. It's a much slower moving game. I've pumped like 40 hours into it. Um, it's great. Like it, it's generally one of the best games. I have to say, like the the PlayStation, Xbox current generation. You know, we're both late to the game. We both came from a, a PC. PC kind of environment, Brent. You know, um, I think we're finally caught up. Um, I mean, I like I literally have had my PS4 for two months, so no, I'm not. No, no, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't mean in a in a liter, in a literal sense. I mean like uh, as games, because one of the big things that happened when this one of the reasons why I didn't get a PS4 or an Xbox or whatever for a long time was because I thought the games didn't warrant it. I didn't really see the point, and now. I kind of do. Like, I'll be honest. Full disclosure: I got my PS4 so I could play um, the um, Fractured Behold, you know, <laughs> the the Cell Park game, yeah, and also for uh, for Sonic, yeah, and God of War. No, I I, I the new God of War does nothing for me. Really? I, yeah, that's although a, that's interesting because like it's uh, I like it a hell of a lot more than like the originals. Ah, uh, see, that's a God of War three now is the PSN game of the month. And yeah. the remaster, so I'm like, yeah, just you know, this is this is the Kratos I like, the the dick that kills people. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like, now he now he's just the the he's the, the single he's the single parent. <laughs> yeah, he's like the dad that you know is disappointed all the time in his son. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like I don't you want know, this. That, this. That's this, what this is that's what just caused though. His son sucks. Like, yeah, but like. You know, again, this is this is the guy who killed his wife and child before. He's not that of the year, like, you know, no, <laughs> he's but he's really trying not. to be. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Look, the Kratos I like is the one that's screaming at Zeus, pulling the head off Apollo just so he has a nice torch. That's 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 the Kratos I like, and you know, hashtag not my Kratos for. <laughs> <laughs> for God of War, but no, I, I've heard it's great. It's just um, I will get to it eventually, but I'm still yeah. trying to justify playing Watch Dogs two, and I hate well, like I've tried to play Watch Dogs four times. I've sold it twice and bought it, you know, four times. This is my fourth time trying to play Watch Dogs. But Watch Dogs two is more fun, but I hate all the characters, and I'm like, how did you guys mess this up so badly? Just make the movie Hackers as a video game, and you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like. I mean, Watch Dogs is not, it just never um, interested me because it just looked like yet another clone of Assassin's Creed. It is. So it's just, I just, with less likable characters. That's implying that there's likable characters in Assassin's Creed. Ezio. <laughs> it's, Everyone likes Ezio. Yeah, okay, that's one character out of 17 games. Like, it's. <laughs> it's they not did it once and just kept repeating. <laughs> 
Like they get, they literally gave the uh, Connor from the third game the same character, the same character beats, and no one liked him. They were like, hey, boring. Everybody hates Connor. It's like, dude, you suck. We like your dad more. You know, it's just like you, like you know, you messed guy up more than we like you. Well, bad guy from a from a certain point of view, you know, yeah. like he didn't really see that part. The Jedi are evil. <laughs> 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 oh my god uh, this this show is so fun guys and sadly you know we, because we started late we're almost out of time so yeah. we're gonna have to do it we're gonna have to uh to cut it there but <laughs> for the podcast listeners guys we have a lot of dcc stuff to get through so after this break for the podcast listeners we're going to have uh, a clip from one of our dcc panels um half of it we we'll probably play the rest of it next week uh, go over to Facebook, uh, search um, um, Phoenix FM's Nerd to Know, Nerd to Know basis on uh, Twitter as well, Nerd to Know, uh, where you can check it all out there as well. And uh, when we do get our sound, when we get our SoundCloud and iTunes is all sorted out, that's when we'll let you guys know. But Bryn, before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, okay, so I'm gonna just plug um, our good friends over at Geeks of the Industry, um, as they have a bunch of they have a wonderful line of podcasts that you can listen to if you're a geek like us. You can check out their flagship show, Geeks Geeks of the Industry. They also review films on Geeks on Film, and then they cover some of their older films through Matinee, and they also cover some horror films with uh, the Creature Feature Podcast. Um, if you're also like us and you like wrestling too, then they have they've covered with Mega Powers Radio. And yeah, that's pretty much as many of their titles as I can think of off the top of my head. Um, yeah, check them out. Cool. Uh, and guys, remember, myself and Bryn do a wrestling show every Tuesday at uh, 8 p.m. on Phoenix 92.5 FM, the Rescue International Desk. Uh, podcast, we're nearly up to 322, I think, is next week. So, you know, if you guys want to check out past shows, you can. It, that, that is on iTunes, thanksrescue.com. And uh, we, our website is wvidesk.com as well. So you guys can check out everything there. If you want to reach my Twitter, my Twitter is at DaraWV. So D-A-R-R-A-G-H-W-V. Um, and pretty much everything is going to be clicked out there. The show will be up on MX Cloud, sorry, MixCloud. Not MX Cloud, MX Cloud, something else. Uh, MixCloud uh, at a um, near to no basis. And like uh, Phoenix of M have one as well, but everyone has our near to no basis logo as well. And guys, if you want to email us, you can uh, uh, nerd to know as well at gmail.com or the best way is on Twitter. And uh, if you, if we'll be at, are we going to be at, we're going to be at JCon, Bryn, as well. And there's also, yeah, we're going to try and get to JCon, yeah. Yeah. And there's another, um, another Comic Con coming up soon as well. So we'll guys let you know what's happening there. But, um, yeah, a lot coming up, a lot to do. And again, guys, apologies for the technical issues. Brandon, apologies for technical issues to you as well. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so until next week, guys, uh, this has been Nerd to Know Basis here on Phoenix 92.5 FM. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Okay, so you're catching us on the podcast and you want to find out, well, what if I want to listen live and I'm not in Ireland? Well, the TuneIn app has you covered. That's TuneIn. Just look for Phoenix 92.5 FM and you'll be able to check us out live. Don't forget, if you want to contribute to the conversation, go over to Twitter. nerd 2 92.5 is our Twitter. That's nerd 2 the number 2, 
No, 92.5 is our Twitter for the show. If you want to chime in, you can. Every Saturday, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. here on Phoenix 92.5 FM. Okay, guys, welcome back to Nerd to No Basis here on Phoenix 92.5 FM. Of course, if you're listening to this, you are listening to the podcasted version of the show because of some of the technical issues we have. I figured, look, it was only half an hour. Let's give you some bonus content. And what bonus content this is. This is one of my favorite highlights of any convention I was ever at. This is the Doom panel that was conducted by uh, Brenda Romero and John Romero. Uh, of course, the creator of Doom, Quake, Wolfenstein, Hexen, you name it. This guy has been involved with it. Um, this is a this is a huge, a huge panel that he did. It's about forty minutes. Uh, we might play it again on uh, the live show at some point, but you know you guys are getting it first, so enjoy the Doom panel with John and Brenda Romero here on Nerd to No Basis on Phoenix ninety two point five FM, and of course, where all good podcasts can be found. So I just started asking the students what they were typing, 
<laughs> and I went around with a, a you know, paper and was just writing down keywords, basic keywords, and started to use them myself and started to figure out how to make a game on my own on a, on a, on a college mainframe when I was 11. So, uh, so if we go, so we started at 11, and then in 93, uh, you guys create Doom, and just last night they released a new trailer uh, for Doom Eternal, and nobody's asked you the question yet, at least with the microphone on your face. So, what do you think of the new, what do you think of the trailer that you saw for the brand new Doom? Awesome. <laughs> I don't know if anyone here has seen the new trailer, but it looks really good, and I was pretty happy to see that uh, in the same way that the new, uh, the, the 2016 version of Doom that came out was a really great um, like refresh of, of the Doom brand, and it was super aggressive and fast and like all of the all of the um, all of the, the things that we cared about uh, back when I was making the original Doom. It was fast. It was it was super responsive. It was super violent. Um, and, uh, and then when we made Doom 2, we didn't mess up the original formula. We just added a double barrel shotgun, a bunch of monsters, and made all new levels at a better quality than, than we had earlier. And, and I, that's basically what I see in this new Doom Eternal video is cooler weapons that they've added. They've just augmented the character. Um, better uh, capability of moving through the world, swinging from stuff, climbing walls. The environment is crazy. It looks so good. Um, so yeah, they did not mess it up at all. They just did an amazing job. So I'm really excited to play it. Did you like uh, 2016? 2016 was great. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, so speaking of violence in video games, uh, because you were kind of known for, uh, well, there was more combat before you, but then Doom really kicked it uh, up several levels. Um, I want to go back though to the first, your first episode of Violence in Video Games, which involves you in an arcade, and there's a story that is in the very beginning of Masters of Doom. Maybe I thought that that you could share that how your parents felt about you playing video games. Yeah, they didn't like the fact that I played video games, um, and they told me not to go to the arcade and play it, but I couldn't not go to the arcade. <laughs> so um, I uh, I used to hide my bike behind the arcade, so uh, when my dad would drive by and he didn't see my bike, then obviously I'm not at the arcade, but I guess he figured out that I was there since I wasn't at home and decided to go inside, and uh, and I was playing, I think it was Asteroids I was playing, and um, I, did, I was in the middle of playing the game and I kind of heard some of my friends around go, oh, make some kind of noise, and then my head just basically got smashed into the, into the arcade game. And, um, and then he just dragged me out of there and threw me in the truck and went and found my bike that was hidden and, uh, and took me home and then beat me up some more home. So it really made me want to make games. Revenge! Did you ever apologize for that? No, no. I mean, he told me not to go to the arcade and I did, so... Has he come to terms with the fact that you make video games for a living? Yeah. Has he acknowledged He's that? He's figured it out. That it worked out <laughs> It worked out all right, yeah. Does anybody, on the, on the, on the incredibly tragic question, does anybody have any questions before I keep going on? I, it's hard to see with the sun. Okay, nobody has any questions except the invisible man at the mic. All right. Um, so let's go, let's move on to an embarrassing question. Uh, Why are we doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, all right, so let's talk about uh, which game do you guys want me to ask questions about? You can just yell it. 
Oh, Daikatana. I heard Quake first, so I'm going to go for Quake, then I'm going to go for Daikatana. See, we do Daikatana answers here. <laughs> <laughs> we don't avoid Daikatana. Let's talk about Quake first. Alright, but yeah, I'm just going in order. Uh, so let's talk about Quake. Um, what do you want to know about Quake? Trent Reznor? Yeah, he did play it. So let me say, oh, well, that was the question. Okay, yeah, so did The Trent question was, did Trent Reznor play Quake? Yes, he did. And Maybe talk a little bit about his involvement in Quake. Yeah, the reason, the reason why Trent got involved is because uh, Nine Inch Nail group were huge Doom nuts, and their tour bus had four, uh, four 46s on it, all land connected, and they used to deathmatch all the time on the tour bus when they got done with a, with a, a gig. And... We contacted um, a company called ICM in Los Angeles that represents companies and people, and we were kind of looking to see, is there anything that we can do with our brands, like movies and books and stuff like that? So we got representation by somebody at ICM, and they just so happened to represent Nine Inch Nails as well. So they figured it out that, you know, that Nine Inch Nails liked our stuff and we liked electronic music. So they basically got hooked up together, maybe you guys can do something, and um, Trent came to the office and we basically just got to talk to him, found out he's a super, super intelligent guy, really smart, really cool, and um, and he said he would totally be into making the soundtrack for Quake, so uh, he came to the office probably about three or four times and we went and hung out, and it was kind of funny that... Anytime he's coming to the office, uh, somehow people knew he was coming. And it wasn't like it's, you know, all over the internet, because the internet barely even existed at that point. Um, but there were just women all over the bottom of that building waiting for his limo to pull up. It was, I don't know how they knew. But um, they just wait, you know, he's up there for hours, they're all waiting for him to come back out. <laughs> and and uh, so it was like, that's a real rock lifestyle there. Uh, but he did a good, he, he did a great job, and um, and he he was even involved in Doom Three as well with audio. So he um, he he played Quake definitely, and uh, and it was it was uh, it was great that he did the music for it. But unfortunately, we couldn't um, have the music as MP3s, and uh, and so I had to play off the actual CD, and that was a time where you install the game on the CD and then you put the CD away. And so you can't hear the music the CD is not on the drive. It's not actually MP3 streaming from a directory. Um, and that was all record company stuff. They're worried about people copying these MP3s. We just had them in a hard drive versus on a CD. So they wouldn't allow us to put it, you know, to take it off the CD. So unfortunately, a lot of people didn't hear the music back then. But uh, nowadays, there's a lot of quick source ports out there, and the music's out there, and they play the music while, you, while you're playing the game now, so it's kind of came back. So we'll, we'll move on now to Daikatana, since we might be kids in the audience, we'll also say that Daikatana had a famous ad campaign that <laughs> went along with it, which rhymed with John Ramirez going to make you his Twitch. <laughs> say, what was the dichotomic question? Uh, so, so they just want to hear about it. So, well, I'll, I'll ask the question. So you go, you have, uh, so what, let's just set the stage. What number was Quake in terms of how many games you've made? Um, 
Yeah, so Quake, so you've made 100, so let's say you've made some nine, somewhere between 90 and 100 games. At that point, who's counting? And then, uh, and then you then you leave its software on August 6th, 1996. 1996, and you are off on a great adventure, and you are going to make this amazing shooter. Well, you're making a company, first of all. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to make this Ion Storm, and you're going to make this amazing shooter called Daikatana. Now, Clearly, we you know things didn't go that way, um, and it's tough because when you you well, you know what I take dykes on on my resume. If I can also have Doom Quake, if I can get away with that, but um, but it's like you're going uphill, and then ooh. So what what happened? Uh, so many things happened, um, but the real high level of of uh, of the issues that we had developing the game was. I brought in a couple co-founders that were not good to have in the company, <laughs> and that really disrupted a lot of the people in the company just having these guys in there. Um, and uh, and the other the other issue was that when I was making games at ID, I was working with people who had ten years of experience making games, and they they had made dozens and dozens of games just like I had. So. We were basically experts when we got together and started its software and making our games. Starting Iron Storm, I decided that I would bring in people who were uh, modders and um, people who just had a ton of passion and knew how to do do something associated with making a game. So people that had written like the Reaper bot for Quake, uh, I wanted to bring him in to, to program on Daikatana. People that had done amazing level design work. Um, for Doom and Quake, I wanted to bring them on to do levels for Daikatana. So I brought a lot of modders to, to, to the team. Nobody was from the industry, and not one single person had actually ever made a game in their life before. They'd made some levels at home. So nobody, many of the people never even had jobs before. So it's kind of like opening a restaurant, but you're the only cook and nobody else. Exactly. So it's like, oh, now I have to teach people how to make a game. So that took three years, uh, and uh, and they had tons of passion for it. It was great, and, and it was like bringing a lot of new people into the industry through Daikatana. Um, but it was really hard to make the game with people who had no professional experience. They didn't know what a real job was like, or even best practices. And making games is really complex, and uh, the passion was was helpful for getting them through those three years, but um, they had to learn so much to, to get the game out, and it, did, it, it didn't equal what could have been done with a team that was you know, you know from the industry when I had started it. So it was a big experiment. It was a big experiment, experiment working with a team of people who had passion but not really um, any industry experience. So they got a lot of experience. And the game, and the funny thing is the game, uh, has a lot of fans still. I have a lot of people uh, emailing me saying, "Don't listen to what people say." I love Daikatana. There's, um, there's almost like a, an emo fan club for Daikatana. Yeah, there's a lot of people like it, and there's still uh, servers up right now that you can connect to and play multiplayer Daikatana. But if I just summarize, sort of, I guess the bigger issues are that you worked with a really experienced group of people, and and you just. You decided you, you not to work with experienced well, people. Yeah, <laughs> but you took it for granted. We'll say I right? did. I took it for granted. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, but overall, I mean, you know, not every game can turn out can turn out great. And I also know Dai Katana in the beginning had some. Uh, well, I mean, even when it was launched, in sense people have corrected it, but had some uh, AI issues where you were fighting the AI as much as you were fighting the monsters. Yep, that's because the guy who was programming it had never programmed before. So he learned how to code while he was making the game as well. Oh. <laughs> so if you're taking a lesson away yes, from Dai Katana... this was an experiment. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that sounds... Uh, Alright, anything, anything else? Questions about Quake, Doom, Dai Katana? Yes, sir. Okay. For those of you who have joined us, we have six suns coming down on us, so it will be hard to see if you raise your hand. Go ahead. I just wonder, have you ever um, heard of a game called Noah's Ark 3D? Of course. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we um, we wanted to license the Super Nintendo um, engine that we had written for Wolfenstein 3D, and there was this religious company called Wisdom Tree that wanted to license it for a non-violent game, and uh, and so we're like, okay, it's so they wanted to license Doom. For they want to license Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein on the Super Nintendo uh, for non-violent games. And I mean, we wouldn't do any work on it. We would just sell them our engine. So we did. We just like went, go ahead. So they made a game called Super Noah's Ark 3D, where you basically feed food to animals, they fall asleep. Instead of getting killed, they're, you're poisoning. And you don't feel like poison because there's little Z's over. But you know, you're, you're trying to put all, you're Noah, and you're putting all the animals to sleep so they can get on the ark, they're not afraid. Whatever excuse that game had for doing this. Um, it was hilarious that, that, you know, I mean, we, we just licensed the engine to him. We, it was not even anything that the, anyone outside of our, our uh, biz guy had anything to do with, other than to say, yeah, go ahead. I can say the conference, this is the first time you've been asked about Noah's Ark 3D. That I is think a, so. It's a pretty right. esoteric You could ask the most esoteric things ever. Yeah. If you want. Alright, any other questions? Alright, yeah, I would say, I saw your hand and then yours, if you guys want to just go to the mic, you can just, and you can go to the mic too, I'll make up embarrassing questions if you don't. Oh wait, that's... The, please go to the mic. Yeah, please go to the mic. <laughs> like, no, we want the embarrassing questions from Brenda. Uh, yeah, I just want to, I just want to ask, um, I don't know much about the very inner workings of Ironstone, but I know Tom Hall was there as well, and I quite like the Macrox, and... I know that game kind of got a bit of a shaft, and I just, I'm just curious to know more of the details around that time and around what was happening, because it's something that I think a sequel would have been really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there needs to be an Iron Storm book. There's, um, there is a really great article on Salon that came out, you know, 15 years ago, probably. It's called An Elegy to Iron Storm, written by Christian Devine, who is the writer for the Life of Strange Games. And he was at Iron Storm. Uh, he made the Daikatana story up and wrote on Daikatana. He wrote on Deus Ex. He wrote on Anachronox, I think. So he's, he's been, he was involved with everything. And so he did a really great write-up of what it was like to be in Iron Storm. Um, but Tom, uh, Tom had a great, a really cool vision to basically take Final Fantasy VII and make a Western version of that with his own crazy ideas. And that's basically what Anachronox was, and, and uh, it took four years to make Anachronox. So when I got done with Daikatana, I worked on a prototype for just a couple of months, and then I basically spent the next year working on Anachronox with Tom and, and the team. And I brought my team over to, to help Anachronox, so the team got like 50% bigger. 
um, to basically get that last year out. And, uh, and it, was, it was great. I mean, it was really fun at that time uh, making the game because those co-founders were not the company anymore and the company was just clear of any kind of weirdness and everyone could just focus on developing. And, uh, and, it, and it went really, really well. Uh, the problem was that because of Daigatana, uh, our publisher kind of looked at the Dallas comp- the Dallas office as being a let's not spend money on that office anymore. Uh, meaning the games that they're making, let's not promote them. Uh, Deus Ex came out and it did amazingly well. Game of the Year did did so well. Um, they, the decade, yeah, they, yeah, Game of the Decade for some places. So they focused their marketing on on Deus Ex. So, unfortunately, uh, Anachronox was an amazing game and they got no marketing because they just didn't focus on it because of the whole Dallas situation. It was like, get the game done, let's shut it down, and we'll just focus on the Deus Ex franchise going forward. So that's what they did, but unfortunately they left out this amazing game called Anachronox. That's, it, it was totally Final Fantasy VII for the Western audience. Yeah, I think that's an important thing actually with thinking about Storm that you think of a combat where you've got the tank going in, sort of Daikatana was the tank, uh, and it, 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 it felt like a tank might, um, but ultimately... Uh, Actually, another game fell before Daikatana did. Oh, that's right. There was an RTS that we made called Dominion, and it was actually a game that was being developed at a different company that my, those two co-founders, um, they brought with them, and so they wanted to finish developing it, and they did, and unfortunately, that game came out when StarCraft came out. Like, the same day. It kind of just destroyed that game. And the funny thing is, if you actually do any kind of Googling about it, uh, the developers of StarCraft came to an E3 and saw Dominion and went, oh my god, we need to change our game. Because the art was so good for Dominion. And uh, the guys making StarCraft were like, we can't do what we're doing. This game is like going to come out and just blow us away. So they went insane on StarCraft for the next year. And then when, when StarCraft came out, it decimated Dominion. There was a game that I worked on that was similar to that uh, called Jagged Alliance that probably nobody's heard of, but it released within, I think, the same week as XCOM. And they had aliens. You can't beat those the same kind of game, but with aliens. Yeah. So game development. Things like that happen. There's only 365 days in a year. Yeah. And there's there's like a thousand games released on Steam per week now. So crazy. yeah, it's crazy. Alright. Uh, we have PBS. Go ahead. Hello. Um as a music composer, I'm dying really hungry to know how was the process of your collaboration with uh, Trent Reznor. Um, well, we did not, we didn't tell Trent how to make any music, like that was up to him. He got to see what the game was like, uh, so when he'd come to the office, we would show him the latest build, and he would kind of, you know, run him through the four different episodes, and he could see what the, the themes looked like, and how fast it was, and just kind of get a general idea of it. While we're making the game, we wanted to have some music playing in it so we could also kind of be inspired by something that was maybe close to what he was going to make. So Trent had a friend who had made uh, really cool ambient music and he sent us a bunch of MP3s and we just kind of hooked them up to levels. So basically while we're developing Quake's levels, we're listening to somebody else's music while we're playing the levels. 
waiting to be able to switch them out for trend stuff. And uh, Chris Brenna actually did most of the music uh, under Trent's direction. And Trent did all the streams and he did the title song, uh, audio, and all that kind of stuff. But it was really Chris who did a lot of the, um, the actual hands-on creation of the music. And, uh, and he knew that we really liked the stuff that, that they had sent us to test with. So when we uh, could switch out his stuff, it wasn't like completely different. Um, but the nice thing was that the other person's music was MP3. <laughs> and Trent's was all on the CD. Uh, but, the, but the creation process was really pretty hands-off. They just did everything when they were in New Orleans. He had his, his place in New Orleans. Uh, basically, his house was like right next to Anne Rice's house. And, um, and so he, he did all of it from there and uh, just sent stuff to us. Uh, the release of the game actually was held up because uh, we were waiting for the 12 signatures from Interscope to release all of those songs. So yeah, involving people who are really famous uh, really slows things down sometimes. Just a random, this is random non-embarrassing trivia about you. There was a point in your career when you had to choose between games and metal music. Because John is... No! Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, because you can... No, that was, yeah, you know, you can actually... There's, oh god, there's so many weird stories there, but John, um, I had a choice between singing metal uh, and programming, and programming one. Although you had the hair for metal. Or art. Yeah. Uh, okay, what would we do this side? Speaking of hair, what's the secret of yours? If your hair just like, there's going to be some magical properties of just it being so awesome. I know, because I'm over, I'm over 50. I'm almost 51. Um, and usually people don't have hair that long. So, or they don't have five times the hair they have. No. <laughs> people, people, yeah, so I get this question uh, every once in a while, and it's funny because it's like cheating um, because it's just genetics, really. Uh, my, um, on both sides of my family, one side is uh, Yaki, Pascal Yaki, uh, in uh, Native Americans and Aztec, and the other side has Cherokee. So, Long hair is inevitable. It's gonna happen. Um, and none of my family's hair went away, so they didn't lose any hair. And um, and then people ask me what kind of shampoo and stuff like <laughs> no, no. just normal stuff. Um, nothing nothing special there, uh, except that I use this uh, this hair oil stuff at the very end to stop all frizzy kind of stuff. So I put it on my hair, put some hair oil on it, and that's it. You've donated it to Lux a couple of times. Yeah, I cut it all off a couple of times. Donated it. Alright. Yeah, anything else you need to know about her? That's pretty, yeah. Here, have some DNA. <laughs> Hi, yeah, so um, I just want to say Quake 2 was probably the soundtrack of that game, which probably what got me into metal music at the time. Absolutely love that soundtrack. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, my question was actually regarding the um, like constraints of building games in the nice as well, because obviously a big thing of like Doom and so on was the 2D uh, like enemy sprites in a 3D space. So I was wondering like, what it was like working with like, the technological constraints at the time. Yeah, every time we made a game, it was like starting from scratch at that time. So even going from um, Commander Keen to Wolfenstein was so different. Even though we could luckily use uh, my tool that I wrote to create levels, uh, we were creating them in a more abstract way with Wolfenstein. Um, we're still using sprites, so 2D is is there forever, you know. 
Um, and then when we start moving into Quake uh, technology where we're doing everything in 3D, and there's no sprites except for UI, you know, user interface stuff on the screen, status bar and all that, um, we had to figure out, like, wow, how do we make 3D models? Like, what do we use? We, we have Deluxe Paint 2. <laughs> that was the only program we had. So, uh, so at that time, I don't think there was any really good 3D program on the PC. You know, for at that time, it was like 386s and Pentiums were just starting, Pentium 90s, 60s and 90s. So we bought um, an SGI Gecko, or the Indigo, this uh, SGI Indigo, they were like teal-colored 90s, teal-colored 80s, teal-colored computers um, that uh, ran a program that we called, that was called Alias. And uh, so Alias was the program that we used to create our 3D models. And, uh, and even the skinning process of, of putting the texture on all the sides of the, the model, which is called skinning, where you have to take the polygons and flatten them out on a 2D surface for artists to just draw on, because you couldn't draw on a model like you can nowadays with ZBrush and, and Substance and all that. This is like ancient history. Um, so you had to basically take a texture, all the, all the textures on the character get pulled out. Unfortunately, at that time, skinning was so limited that that a lot of the side textures, if you didn't have a point at the, at the ends of the side of the character, it would just streak uh, pixels down the sides of the character. So we did have streaks in some of those characters, if you look really closely, but we tried to eliminate most of them. Um, but we, we created super low polygon count models in Alias, um, just to give you an, an, an idea of how limited we were on polygons and rendering and stuff. When we were drawing the scenes in Quake, the screen was only 320 by 200 pixels. 320 pixels across, 200 high. It was full 3D, so when we were drawing um, the graphics, there was no such thing as a 3D card back then. Like, we couldn't just, like, send things to a card. Like, nowadays, you just send polygons to a video card that just renders it on the screen. Perspective, correct texture mapping, and, 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 and all kinds of shaders and stuff. Back then it was like we had control of the screen memory where every dot was being placed. And so we to draw the polygons, we had to figure out every all the calculations for how we would take a 2D texture and change it to be, you know, this weird angled polygon on the screen and draw every pixel correctly so it looked like it should at that from that angle. It was it was it took a year of really hard work just to make that part happen. And, and as a comparison, before Quake, when we made Doom, it took two months to make it, uh, make Doom's engine basically render a world. And with Quake, it took like a year to get that solid. So it was really difficult making it, having to put every pixel on the screen individually. Um, so, uh, so that pro so because of that, you know, that was we need a high frame rate and all that. We had to limit the amount of polygons we could have on the screen. We limited ourselves to 350 polygons for the world polygons, and then um, we just kind of limited ourselves on the texture, on the polygon limits on the actual characters themselves. But the world only had 350 polygons. Like you don't even have less than that in someone's hand nowadays, like or even a finger. So it's Crazy, but um, 
But yeah, it was like starting over every time we made a game. It was just like lots of technical problems to solve, but it was, uh, we, we knew we could solve them. It was just like, how fast can we do it? Because other people in the world are trying to do the same thing. We want to be first. Okay, quick question. You only get to give the answer because it's a horrible question to ask you. You're going to an island. You only get to bring one metal album with you. Oh my god. No, you can't say, oh my god. Which album's going? Alright, in the meantime, while you're thinking of that horrible answer, that will... go ahead. Uh, hey. Ooh, uh, good um, what is your favorite mod that you've ever seen of a game that you've worked on, and why is it Boogaloo? <laughs> you answered it. <laughs> and why is it Brutal Doom? If we had come out with Doom looking the way Brutal Doom looks, the whole violence of video games thing would have been way worse. Can I actually so just because it's an interesting thing that people might not know, so in, in addition, this isn't about me actually, but I'm also a game historian. So on December 9th, 1993, in the floor of Congress in the US, was this huge debate about video game violence. And Sega was there, Nintendo was there, like all the big players were there, and they, people that have enough of this horrible video game violence because of Mortal Kombat, hold on, you show up tomorrow. Mortal Kombat was out there and it was, you could rip a guy's heart out, which was around like 10 pixels or so, and then Night Trap. So this is December 9th, meanwhile, do you have any idea what's happening? No, we don't care. And then what happens the next day? Yeah, we released in the next day. Just so you understand the context. Let's just find violence in video games right now. So you understand, so if Brutal Doom, if, so if Brutal Doom had been released, unbelievable, unbelievable. They would have done it again. They would have had to run that whole that whole thing in Congress again if if Doom had come out the way Brutal Doom works yeah. today. It's amazing. So who's coming to the island with you? There's no way to know. I mean. You got well, I said with the Judas Priest, obviously, it's either one of those. Okay, but you got to pick one out. Yeah, it's really hard. All right, um, I'm going to give another question. you got to come up with an answer. Go ahead. Wolfenstein in Germany. What was that? Wolfenstein in Germany. wants to know about Wolfenstein and the censorship of it, because Germany only just lifted their rule about the depiction of Nazis in media, like, two days ago. Yep. Um, so there's this list in Germany. Uh, they have they have this banned images, a uh, bunch of banned images in Germany that you can't have iron crosses and swastikas and all these, you know, even I think the SS symbol. There's a ton of these symbols that you will be thrown immediately in jail if you walk around with these things in Germany. Um, and uh, at that time, violent video games were kind of new, but they they knew that like Germany was was forbidden by the, the Allies. Um, to be violent after World War II, and so this is like decades old and stuff. That includes any any display of Nazi. Yep, any display of, of the Reich's uh, symbols and any kind of um, aggression or violence. And so Wolfenstein actually comes from Castle Wolfenstein, like Silas Warner. Yeah, Castle Wolfenstein is a game that came out in 1981 uh, on the Apple II computer. It's kind of like it's a it's a top down stealth game. Um, you're basically trying to disguise yourself like a Nazi and try and escape with the plans to the fortress and get out. You're an American soldier. Um, and it's all 2D and stuff. And so what we did when in 1992 was decide, why don't we make a 3D version of Wolfenstein 3D? Because we're trying to come up with an idea for a game using this new texture mapping um, 
this new texture mapping technique that we that we had just used in a game called Catacomb 3D like two months earlier. Um, and so we were we're like, what what could we do that's a really great idea? Like, what's an awesome idea? And so a couple of bad ideas were thrown around, and then I said, why don't we just remake Wolfenstein? And immediately everyone was like, oh my god, we have to do that. Like, we were total Wolfenstein fanatics. So, um, and, and that was ten years before. So, so, uh, so we that's what we did. We made we made the game, and then it got listed like pretty soon you after it got. You mean banned? Right? It got banned in Germany pretty quickly. Um, but everybody in Germany, like everybody, wanted to play it really badly. So in Germany, people sold Wolfenstein under the counter for the game store. So in, in just as in, without mentioning any names, just John and I are also looking. Uh, uh, since we're here in Ireland, we're eventually opening a museum up in Galway for specifically about game design, um, and we are part of a couple of groups that are game historians as well and collect big boxes. And we recently went to Germany where we had to meet someone in a private, we didn't have to, we agreed to, meet them in a private room so they could get their Wolfenstein boxes signed. Because it was... It still it was, couldn't show it. Still couldn't show it, because if kids saw it, or other people saw it, it would have been considered illegal in the games, would have been confiscated. So, so this was just, what, the summer? Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. still, still an issue. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, and it's just like this whole, you know, keep them from being aggressive. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting uh, to to I guess have a game banned, but they're selling it anyway under the under the counter, and now it's like all over the internet, so you can easily get get uh, get wolf so you, at any point. So you have uh, eight minutes left, and you got an answer. What on? Um, I would say sadly it's a destiny. It's a good choice. Okay, that's Juice Priest is going to the island. Okay, uh, which side was I before? Okay, it's in Europe. Um, do you have any recommendations for like resources for game design, like books or websites? And also, when is that museum opening? <laughs> <laughs> the focus for Galway 2020. So we've got uh, we certainly have all the materials. Um, just a random piece of trivia, John, with the exception of some a few discs and a notebook, uh, has never gotten rid of anything in his entire history. So we actually. So from being a teenager, yeah. like all my drawings, uh, all the video games I made on Apple II and assembly language and stuff, I have all so the games, I have all the source code for most of them, the very lots first of drawings. Doom discs. Yeah, the first replicated Doom discs, all the notes to create the Doom Bible. People have heard about the Doom Bible, which was the design doc that we used to start making the game. But I have all the notes to use to create the Doom Bible. Um, I have, we have unbelievable amounts of stuff for first person. So the, hopeful, the hope is 2020, sometime in 2020. I mean, we're also game developers, so my crazy museum idea, but... Yeah, we're making games at the same time. Yeah, but anyway, so within a year we'll figure something. Well, we have more than yeah. a year, but yeah, we're getting we're better at this sort of... And as far as resources go, what I would say is uh, email me, and if any of you are interested in that, just send me an email to brenda at romero.com. Especially if it has to do with game design, and I can send you a bunch of information on that. Alright, we'll go to the side. Hi. Uh, as someone who's been making games since the very early days of the industry, and still making games now, it's a billion dollar, multi billion dollar industry, what would you say is the biggest positive and negative of how the industry has changed and grown over that time? Uh, well, the biggest positive is that so many more people are playing games, and they're making games, so. It's like a massive game world now compared to the way it was back in the 70s and 80s. Um, 
Well, you know, so that's really great. When we came out with Doom, I couldn't wait to license that engine to see more games that I didn't make. I wanted to play other shooters, and and um, and I think everybody that that makes games loves playing them, and the more the better. So the fact that the industry has totally exploded has been awesome. Just, the, just it's unbelievable to see the stuff that's coming out nowadays. Um, and the, the things that have changed is like everything. Everything you can possibly name in game development or even the final games themselves, everything has changed unbelievably. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the Red Dead Resurrection, uh, or Red Dead Redemption 2, you should call it something like that. Uh, and seen the gameplay videos for that? It's almost like every game made in one game. It's, I thought Zelda was amazing. Uh, the, the Breath of the Wild, but oh my god, this Red Dead Redemption 2, Insane. I, I don't even know how long it would take to make something like that if you didn't have a giant team like Rockstar. Yeah, the part of this question, I think, is, and I, I, my guess is you'll agree with this. Is like, what's the worst thing? And I feel like the worst thing for me is because there's so many great games being released, I have this awareness if I quit my job this minute and do nothing but play games until somehow I drop dead, which I guess if I did nothing but play games, that would happen. But, uh, but there's there's just no way to play every single There's a thousand game. releases a week, yeah. you can't do that. But to play, like, even with the really great just ones. Just the great ones, yeah. And and, uh, and just the fact that like the, the whole game industry was started by indie game developers. Publishers were just a couple people who took submissions from people who were indies making games and distributed them. So the industry, the industry was started by indies, but it's so great to see how big the indie uh, community is nowadays, and the kinds of risks that they take with their game designs, and the fact that I think that, that the indies have have pioneered the narrative exploration genre that's emerging right now, with you know what Rains of the Finch and and Thomas was alone, and you know Firewatch and her story, just all these other these games are amazing. Um, but it's it's it, it's so cool to see how how diverse the the topics. And R for games now. It used to be shooting aliens, and now it's about everything. So you've got three minutes. All right. So we're going to this side, and then back to that side. Susan, you're now enlightening on questions. <laughs> so with the new Super Smash Bros. game that's coming out soon, uh, would you ever add like any characters from Doom in the future in the game now? Or I wish Doom guy was in there. The Doom Slayer now is what we call him. <laughs> but yeah, he'd be he'd be awesome. But would you ever like add him to the actual Super Smash Bros. roster? Like, if you contacted the Nintendo? Well, I don't work at Bethesda or it anymore, so I'm. You know, they would probably do it. Probably Bethesda would be the one in charge of that. Um, but yeah, that would be really cool. Especially if they have some yeah. <laughs> Hello, how's it going? Uh, so basically, I found out what video games were by being shown Doom 2 on a monitor on Windows 95 uh, when I was a toddler. Uh, I haven't seen anything on screen before. Thank you, John. But uh, basically, uh, so I feel like there's a little bit of ownership. There's an Irish experience of video games. We kind of we, we were exposed to them in a, in a way that should be unique, maybe, or maybe because it's a different market in Europe or whatever. But is there anything you've observed from living in Ireland about how we interact with games here? Do you, do you feel that there's an Irish experience that's got a flavor to it? Uh, I don't think I've really. There, the um, we've seen uh, game developers in Ireland developing games that are Irish, yeah. uh, that only they could develop, you know, that they really understand. 
Um, and it's cool to see that, you know, to see that, that uh, people are kind of making cultural games, like, like uh, what was that, Never Alone? Or the, the, it was Never Alone, yeah. yeah Never Alone. So, so we're seeing some more of this um, cultural stuff. <clears throat> so that, in, in Ireland, that's probably the only thing no, that's... No, there's another one. I, can I jump in on your question? This is the embarrassing part, sort of. So John, we had a, we had a, a death match. Uh, Death Jam in Galway uh, just a few weeks back, where it was the Irish, the best Irish deathmatch quake players. Quake players, and they were brutal. Uh, after this online, this guy Koopa attended, and it was just, it was just like watching, I don't know, uh, it, it, it was crazy. Um, so he was playing the whole time. But one thing, so I, but I suck, right? So I was talking to a lot of people. And the Irish first-person shooter scene, as well as other games, especially because there just wasn't that broadband availability, right? Or people were finding out of it. Because you weren't going to say roll into, I don't know, Letterkenny and find uh, an EB Games with all the games you ever wanted. A lot of stuff was past people, especially shareware was incredibly important. And then people were playing on modems with horrible connections, right? And so players, like all these sort of weird strategies developed to overcome the technical limitations. And also, people tended to get together much yeah, more often. And then they would say, like, Koopa would go over to, uh, to London or something and compete. And they would discover Swedish players were doing this one thing. So one of them would bring that back to Ireland. Um, and then uh, but the players, there became this very unique play style in shooters that was happening in Ireland, influenced largely by, uh, well, first of all, the Irish players that were internationally competitive, and then Swedish players. And so when they first met the guys from America, the first teams that they met from America, funny enough, had not seen some of these new techniques, they just destroyed. Just absolutely got destroyed. But the, because of the lack of broadband availability, there were, there were people playing in person and they got to know each other really well. And like I had such a great experience seeing these guys who in some cases didn't even know each other's names. Like and there was never saw who I've seen never saw each just other. because I think there there are kids in the audience, so I'm just gonna make something up. Um, so let's just say a guy came up and he was like, Hi, uh, I'm uh, Eamon. Right? And the other guy shakes his hand, he's like, Oh, and they're trying to see he goes like dump truck. And the guy goes like, Oh, dump truck, I haven't seen you for fifty years or whatever. But anyway, that ended up just being a really great experience. So yeah, there are unique things. Um, and with that, John is now officially one minute over. Judas Priest uh Saturn's Destiny is going to the island, you're still not a fan. Alright. Yeah. Yeah? Okay, thank you very much. Do you like wrestling? Do you like sports entertainment? Do you want to know what's going on backstage and inside the ropes? Check out the Rescue International Desk here on 92.5 Phoenix FM every Tuesday at 8pm to 9pm. Listen live with myself, Daryl O'Connor, and my co-host, Mr. Bruno Rourke.